Well, it is a joy to be with you again, as is always the case. Um, again, my name is Taylor. If I've not met you, um, I've been here a number of times, especially in the evening services. So those are easier to come over from my local congregation. I'm here with two of my kiddos, number one and number two, not in rank but birth, Isaac and Amelia. We have two others at home with, with mom, and uh, it's just a, it's a joy to be with you guys. Um, this, the, the, the story of this uh, and why I picked James chapter 3 is uh, we have been studying as, as a local church James chapter 3, and I think this is an easy-to-look-over passage that has done my soul much good, and so I hope it does for us as well. Um, the, the context of James thus far, if I said the book of James, you're probably thinking of faith without works is dead. Chapter 2. That's the, uh, the passage that, that riles everybody up. What is, it, what is he talking about here? That comes just before this. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, he's talked about the tongue, actually. The, the danger of the tongue and controlling the tongue. How, how dangerous it is and how it can and, uh, harm quickly. And right on the end of that discussion of the tongue, he then says these words, which I'm about to read. And I think the message for us is you actually can't tame the tongue. You have no hope over your tongue without a wisdom that comes from another place without a, a wisdom that comes from the Lord. And that is our passage this morning, before he then launches James 4, verses 1 and, and following, on worldliness, and how we're to live as a people that are from and for a different kingdom. So that kind of sets us up here. What I want us to see, if I had to make one, a one-sentence argument for our time together this evening, I think what James, what the Lord has for us, is that God's people are intended to pursue to know and to embody His wisdom, which comes from above. Let me show you that from the text. Um, I don't know if this is normal or not, but let me ask you to stand one more time for the reading of God's Word from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be every disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good works, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You may be seated. There is a, uh, a pretty easy to pass over section early in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. In book one, um, and the movie does this pretty well, uh, in The Fellowship of the Ring, the hobbit hero Frodo is wrestling with why he's been given the task of taking the ring to destroy it. Why was I chosen? Why do I have this ring? 
I've only known the Shire. I, I'm not built for these magnificent quests and to, to battle darkness. Why did it come to me? Frodo says these words. I do really wish to destroy the ring. Or, well, to have it destroyed. But I am not made for perilous quests. I wish I'd never seen the ring. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? And he looks to one of the the Christ figures in the story, the powerful and the wise Gandalf, the wizard. And looking at Gandalf, he says, You are wise. You are powerful. Will you take the ring? Listen to what Gandalf says. No, cried Gandalf, springing to his feet. With that power, I should have power too great and terrible. And over me, the ring would gain a power still greater and more deadly. His eyes flashed and his face was lit as by a fire within. Do not tempt me, for I do not wish to become like the dark Lord himself Yet the way of the ring to my heart is by pity. Pity for weakness and the desire of strength to do good. But do not tempt me. I dare not take it, not even to keep it safe, unused. Gandalf, if you know the story, is wise and understanding and powerful. Maybe let me reiterate, wise But he seems to exercise his wisdom in the story in a way that kind of appears like weakness. Let's be honest. If you were in the story, the most powerful thing in all of the universe is right there. It's a ring. What are you going to do? You're going to slide that thing on. Let let me take it. You're right, Frodo. Maybe we can beat the Dark Lord with his own magic to put a positive spin on it. We'll we'll take it. We'll we'll use this power and, and I will become power. That's the temptation. And others in the story even reject Gandalf's wisdom. For him to deny the offer of the ring very early in the story, you may know another character by the name of Boromir is a case study in this, who wants the ring for himself. I'll I'll take it. I'll try. Let me slide on the ring and become the most powerful person alive, and, and I will then battle the dark lord. We can use this power. The only problem is that that's not true wisdom. You see, in Tolkien's Middle Earth, there are two paths, two powers. We could call them, in the words of James 3, two wisdoms between which we must choose. There is a way of overt power. Take the ring, either align with darkness or to put, again, a positive spin on it. Let's try to fight darkness with darkness. But that's the wisdom of the world. Climb the ladder, get powerful, dominate, live for yourself. Or there is a second path, what we could call an upside-down type of power, an upside-down wisdom. It's a wisdom that looks like Gandalf in that scene, when he's offered everything he's ever wanted, all of the power in the world, and declines. And says there's a better way, a way of wisdom, a way of goodness. You see... Our world around us, and even your life, your scenarios, my scenario, my life, appears strikingly similar to that of Middle Earth. There are, in the same way, two paths held out for us. 
two ways of being in this world. There are two wisdoms, and we must decide between the two. There is a wisdom of earth, what we call a wisdom from below, an earthly way of life, or a wisdom from above, which is Christ and his wisdom. And like the characters in The Lord of the Rings, James is urging us to choose. He's urging us to embody the right wisdom, a wisdom from above, the wisdom from another place, the wisdom from another person. And so exploring this theme that I think James is telling us, that God's people are to pursue and to know and to embody God's wisdom, which comes from above, Let's walk through James 3, verses 13 through 18, and then I hope to conclude with a couple practical thoughts and insights to conclude our time tonight. But the first thing I want you to see is from verse 13, and that is, those who are truly wise will reflect God in the way they live their lives. The ones who are truly wise will reflect God in the way they live their lives. Look at verse 13. James is a tension getter here. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let me pause, pick up that sentence, that question, from early in the first century, and drop it here. Who is wise and understanding among Second Reformed Presbyterian Church? Is anyone brave enough to raise your hand? Because I should see most of your hands up. You've heard this already. My six-year-old. You see, the verse continues here, as James is is often prone to do. When he's asking a question, he's making a statement. He knows there are wise and understanding among the first century dispersed Jewish Christians to whom he's writing. And I know there are those who are wise and understanding in this room. It's those who know Jesus and have Jesus. So you see why I thought I'd see more hands, but it's okay. It was a trick question. I know it's a little, it might have been a little prideful, you know, to to raise your hand. Like, I'm the wise one in here. Um, I get it. But he's making a statement. He's actually saying, those that are wise and understanding, which there are amongst you, show it by your conduct. Show it by the way you live. Specifically, verse 13 says, by his or her good conduct, let him show his works. Again, a clear connection back to that famous passage in James chapter 2. Faith and works. It's strikingly similar in what he's saying. Genuine faith will produce good works. True faith produces good works. We're not saved by our works, by any means. We're saved by faith alone. However, the faith that saves is never alone, but bears good fruit. And in the same way, James is speaking of wisdom in a similar way. Fashion. Those who have God's wisdom, the wisdom from above, live lives of genuine faith. And these lives of genuine faith are lives of wisdom, shown in how we live our lives. We take the wisdom that we have from the Lord, revealed in the Scriptures, and we apply it and live it out in all areas of our lives. But we haven't gotten very far, and I think we are facing a difficulty already with this passage. And I think the difficulty lies in the way we speak of wisdom. 
We can speak of it in a number of different, of, of different ways. The, the most basic, broad meaning is you can say something like, wow, that person's really wise. And what you mean by that is usually that person, that, that man or woman, said something that resonated with you. Wow, profound. That's, that's some good wisdom. That's a wise person. But it's not the only way we speak of wisdom. There's an entire genre of biblical literature called wisdom. Any come to mind? Proverbs. Job is usually put in there. There's a number of psalms that are wisdom psalms. I'm thankful for Jerry picking a number of the, the, the psalms that we've sung this evening with the theme of wisdom. It's an entire genre. In Scripture, there's a clear connection between wisdom and the Scriptures themselves that are called the wisdom of God. Or, what about this plea? Maybe you're facing a crossroads in life. Marry this person or that person. Go to this school or that school. What should I do after school? Buy this home or that home. I've got a new job opportunity. Should I take it or not? You're at a crossroads, and if you've been in any of those scenarios or the thousands of others, you've probably said something like this. I need wisdom, right? I need wisdom for this. I need the Lord to to help me. I'm not sure what to do here. There's a couple of good opportunities before me. Lord, give me wisdom. Or there's another one. Wisdom ultimately found in a person. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 and verse 30, call the Lord Jesus Christ the wisdom from God. The wisdom from above. So which is it? What is James after here when he's talking about a life marked by wisdom and understanding? Is he talking about the basic general wisdom? Well, that's a, that's a wise person. Is he talking about the genre of wisdom? Is he talking about the scriptures proper, which are the wisdom of God revealed to us? Is he talking about our plea for wisdom? We need help. Or is he talking about Jesus? Answer. Yes. James throughout this letter has a, a very, um, very wholesome, a, a very all of life understanding of wisdom. And I think he's going at all of these things. It's a, it's a life marked by knowing Jesus and living Jesus out in all of our spheres of life. But there's an important context here. I, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. Remember, James is writing very early in the first century in a Greco-Roman world. That is, Greek culture has, has, is still prolific throughout his day and age, even though Roman occupation is present. Meaning, wisdom is a big deal to James. Wisdom, especially in, in, in the, the Greek world in which James is swimming, wisdom is everything. Understanding of the world and how things function was the ultimate question. Where does wisdom come from? What is wisdom? Where do we get wisdom? Where can we get more wisdom? Am I wise? Are you wise? It's on everybody's mind. You can think of Plato or Socrates, Aristotle of the more famous ones, or the number of isms that were debated in this day and age, and also still debated today, actually. Hedonism, Stoicism, all the others. But what I love about James here is that he's very aware of the importance of wisdom. And he's going to affirm some of those things. Who's wise and understanding among you? He's giving a nod at the importance of right intellect, right thinking. 
grasping things correctly, but where he is going to dramatically part from the wisdom of his age is he's saying, well, I'm not just about the intellect and understanding, though. This wisdom that I'm talking about is embodied in the way you live and love. Because this wisdom that I'm talking about, James would say to us, is a person. His name is Jesus, crucified and risen. And wisdom only comes from knowing that one. So I think wisdom for James, I'm not alone in this. I've had a number of commentators hold my hand in helping me through this. Wisdom in the scriptures and wisdom for James is a knowledge of and relationship with the Lord lived out. A knowledge of and relationship with the Lord lived out. It's knowing about God and His truth, but specifically knowing Him personally and living in light of that. We've been saying it this evening. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think that is a that's a controversial statement, to say the least. A political statement. A countercultural statement. That is, that's dangerous language. Think about it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is it implying? There is no wisdom where there is no fear of the Lord. Like, yikes. The fear of the Lord, a, a right reverence and respect for the Lord of the Scriptures is where wisdom starts. Verse 13 gives us more, though. This wisdom looks like something. Who is wise and understanding among you? Remember, you should read that as statement. Those who are wise and understanding among you, show it by his or her good conduct. Let him or her show his works in the meekness of Wisdom. A wisdom lived out in meekness. I'm not sure what translations you guys might be reading, but a number of translations might read differently on the word meek or meekness. Yours might say gentle or in humility. It's the same word. It's saying that those who have the wisdom of God, those who know the Lord, will live lives marked by gentleness and marked by humility. Or as one of my favorite commentators said here, this is a self-subduing gentleness. It's ability. It's power reserved and under control. It's self-subdued gentleness. The life of God's wisdom, which is displayed in our lives, not just in our minds, is displayed such that we live a life marked by humility and gentleness. My application for us at this point in my time with y'all is pretty simple. Are you? Is your life marked by gentleness? I don't know if it's overly morbid or not, but I often think about my final day on earth. What will people say about me? Not in a weird sense and not in a morbid sense, I don't think. But I would love to be known for humility. That I knew myself to be a great sinner, but I knew also that I had a great Savior. And I lived my life in light of it. I lived a life of humility, of putting others before myself. 
I didn't say this is going to be easy, but I do think it makes sense. Why would it make sense that Jesus' people are marked by humility, gentleness, and meekness? Because we're following the humble, gentle, and meek one. You likely know the passage. The famous Matthew, 18, uh, Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus' invitation, which was his invitation when you first became a Christian. It's his invitation to you right now, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. It is, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, this wisdom of God, the wisdom from above, is a knowledge of and relationship with God lived out in all the areas of our lives, and it's a wisdom marked by gentleness, humility. Not perfectly, but genuinely. Not perfectly, but hopefully trending in a, in a good direction, a, a growth in the gentle direction, a growth in humility, because we have and we know Jesus, the gentle and meek one. And that leads me to my second point from verses 14 through 16. There is indeed a wisdom from God of knowing Him and living our relationship out with God in all facets of life, but that also means there is a false wisdom, verses 14 through 16, And this false wisdom is self-focused, and it's dangerous. Look at verse 14 with me again. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic been looking at the wisdom from above, and that's where we're going to conclude, because James is going to go back to that wisdom from above in just a moment, but we need to learn that there's a different wisdom, uh, a different power, a different path, just like Gandalf was presented with a different way of being, and it is a wisdom not from God. But I also want you to realize how profound of a statement James just made, what, what he said, and how profound that was. He's saying that any wisdom that is not found in God's Word or aligned with God's heart is not wisdom. Think about that. Now, as an aside, that's not to say we don't have common grace in our lives. There's a a number of ways in which God's goodness and grace is found in our world. I thank God for NASA. Medical advances. I have basically only one knee. This one's a a fake knee. My own cartilage was taken out, grown in a lab, and then re-put in this knee. I thank God for that. I thank God for insurance. It wasn't cheap. But I can walk without pain. I, I thank God for all of these common grace advances in our lives. Scientific, psychological, medical, in all of these ways. But... Don't miss what James is saying. He's saying, don't be mistaken. Those wisdoms are only good in that they happen to reflect God's wisdom. God's heart. 
James is going at the isms, the ologies, the theories of his day. They had real people. I already mentioned Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and, and hedonism and other isms. He's going at those. And there are ways in which those people and those isms and ologies overlapped the biblical story in good ways. They aligned. We affirm those. Amen. But all of them without fail will then depart from the biblical wisdom because they're starting in a different place and they're headed to a different place. So when they diverge from God's word, we say we're not going there. It was true in James's day and it's maybe even more true in our day. The isms, ologies, and theories just look different for us. Maybe they don't. Stoicism, hedonism are still around. But James is saying, one cannot be truly wise apart from knowing God and receiving the wisdom that God imparts. Yes, we affirm where there's overlap, where there's good things in our world. That, yeah, that kind of reflects God's heart. But to be wise by James's definition, by the Proverbs definition, by the, the, the testimony of Jesus himself, begins with knowing Jesus and knowing his word. The false wisdom of James chapter 3 is marked by two things. Did you see it? Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. They're two very closely related phrases, um, often used in his day and age for political power. Infighting. Climbing the ladder. Specifically, that word jealousy is actually a neutral word if it weren't connected to a negative adjective. It's the word zealous. It just means a strong feeling. It's used of, of saints when they do good things. It's used of our Lord when he goes into the table and flips over the tables. But it, is, it has a clear negative connotation because it's fronted by bitter. When this strong feeling, this zealousness, it's a bitter zealousness, a bitter jealousy. It's speaking of one who is quick on the draw. Maybe even moves towards the fight. Moves toward division. It speaks quickly. It is sharp and harsh. It's concerned with me, myself, and I. It's a bitter jealousy. The way James started his letter in chapter 1, you could say it's the opposite of this. James 1, 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The one marked with this worldly wisdom uh, lives a life of bitter jealousy. It's one that is slow to hear, very quick to speak, very quick to have an opinion on every single thing that happens in our lives, and it's quick to outrage. But outrage does not accomplish the righteousness of God. It's not the way of the kingdom. The second word there is selfish ambition. This one is specifically connected to political power, political jockeying, maybe making clicks to accomplish your goals, being divisive to accomplish your own desires. And friends, for all of my gratefulness for Presbyterianism, it's very present in Presbyterianism because it's present in my own heart. Make a couple calls here and get, get this going on. It's my, it's, it's my own sinful temptation, my own fallen nature towards earthly wisdom. It is to not put the interest of others before yourself. It is to not 
count others as more significant than yourself. Philippians 2. It's to, to be on the grind, just climb the ladder, go, go, go. And run over whoever you need to while you do it. That's the false wisdom. And James's most radical statement, though, is that any of these wisdoms that don't come from knowing God and what He has revealed in His Word is an earthly wisdom. It's a wisdom from below. And look what he calls it at the end of verse 15. This is wild to me. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Wait, 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 wait. Any wisdom that is not rooted in a knowledge of Christ and revealed in, his, in the Scriptures and that align with the heart of God is earthly, unspiritual, demonic? I think James is saying, yeah. It can get you, it can get you a few steps, but it's not going to get you very far because it doesn't have a Savior. Earthly, it just means of this world. It's the wisdom of this world. It's unspiritual. That means not of the Spirit. Or as one commentator writes, devoid of the Spirit. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it just calls this flesh. So we have the world, the flesh, and it's demonic. Or older translations used to call this devilish. Of the devil. Even if it has some semblance of goodness. So so see what James is doing here. Wisdom that does not come from God and produce a godly living is of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now I've already hinted at a number of ways in which James is, I think, writing this and even thinking of isms and ologies and philosophers and ways of being in the first century. And there are a myriad of examples of our own world's wisdom and ways of being, and and ways that we ought to be wise in our day and age. It looks like a number of different things. Just a couple that came to my mind in thinking through this. Just any way in which you see radical individualism. A a post-enlightenment obsession with our own choice, our own responsibility. Me, me, me. Me, myself, and I. I live for my own individual person. It can look like, hey, you do you, I'll do me. You have your truth, I have my truth. It could look like my body, my choice. It could look like young men and women, or old men, old women. I can sleep with whomever I please. It could be what I've already mentioned, pride and power and outrage, which James goes at all three of those in his letter, and all three of those are prized in our world. Could look like partiality. James chapter 2, verse 1 and following, James goes hard at partiality. If you are showing any sort of partiality based upon outward appearance of someone, friends, it's an earthly way of doing things. Not the wisdom from above. Might look like YOLO. You only live once. What a silly thing to think. And usually in the context of keep going, keep enjoying. You live your life. Live it up. You've only got one life, so do whatever you want and enjoy it. The only problem is we will come to a day when we 
breathe our last and stand for a judge, before a judge and give an account for all the YOLOing we just did. I feel temptation as a pastor, as a Christian. You don't want to be irrelevant, Taylor. You don't want to be irrelevant, so, so you need to usually watch this or think that or conform in this way or agree with everybody else in their way of thinking about this. You don't want to be canceled. Hmm. Maybe my favorite one, actually. One of those like Hallmark memes that you see. Cut unhelpful people from your life. I get what they're saying. Okay, right, right. There's this, but if you cut unhelpful people from your life, everybody would be cut out. And it's like, well, that sounds kind of nice, though. You know, cut toxic people from your life. Cut unhelpful people from your life. Until you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The Lord Jesus going to those who could not give Him anything in return. Going toward the unhelpful, the sinner. There's a wisdom that comes from above. But there's an earthly wisdom and there's a number of examples of that whispering in our ears, friends. In our day and age, it'll look like various isms and ologies and theories. Uh, in the, the, on Amazon, on, in, the, in the fitness industry, in the mall on the ads that come across your phone, everything that tells you you don't have the good life if you don't have this. Friends, I'm just encouraging you to do what James is telling us. Run it through the lens of Scripture. Because if it's really wisdom, it'll look like Jesus and come from Jesus' Word. Third and finally, verses 17 and 18 returns to the topic of the wisdom from above, but does so in an interesting way. And that is, James tells us that the wisdom from above is a received wisdom marked by the fruits of the Spirit. So I started my time and my, my main argument saying that God's people are to pursue and to know and to embody the wisdom from above. But James tells us exactly that, that it's a wisdom from above. You don't do it. You don't have it in you, in your nature. So how do we do this thing called being wise and pursue it and be embodied by it and know the wisdom from above when it's exactly that, a wisdom from another place given by another person. James reminds us, he did so in chapter 1. James 1, verse 17. It says, don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of His own will. He brought us forth, new birth, by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Friends, it's that way. We receive Jesus. And we continue to receive Jesus. And we continue to sit under Jesus. And we continue to learn from Jesus. And slowly, over time, we start to be marked more and more by Jesus. 
and His wisdom and gentleness and humility. In verse 17, uh, I'm not going to walk through all of these. James gives us a number of characteristics, character traits of this wisdom. It's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. I love that for two reasons. One, it sounds a lot like the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But my, my nerd exegetical side will also say every single one of those words is a hyperlink to another spot in James. Every one of them. We can talk after if you want. I've got them written down. He's pointing and saying, if you embody this wisdom, which again is knowing God, having a relationship with Him and living it out in your lives, it's going to look a lot like all of these things. This passage is actually about all of James. Being marked by the things that he has given us in his letter. And so, thinking through a couple closing practical thoughts. Because I don't know about you, I, I want to be wise and understanding. I want to be meek. Because Jesus was. I love Jesus. But this is a received wisdom, so the first application is, really the first and second go close uh, hand in hand. The wisdom of God is ultimately found in a person. It's in Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 1, we're, we're said that uh, the Lord Jesus is the Lord, the glorious one, the one from above. Jesus is the wisdom from God, 1 Corinthians 24. He is the one where all the treasures of wisdom are found, Colossians 2, verse 3. And He, Jesus, became the wisdom of God and the wisdom from God, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. If we want to be wise and understanding, look to Jesus. Be with Jesus. And that's my second thing. Not only is it to be found in a person, so look to Jesus. The second thought for us is to live a, a Scripture-fueled life. The Word of God incarnate, the Son of God became a man and has now revealed Himself in the Word of God written. And I, I feel like, I, I hope I'm preaching to the choir here. Brothers and sisters of 2nd RP, know the Holy Scriptures that God has given us because in them is found wisdom. Devour it. Study it. Memorize it. Because here is where wisdom is found. Why? Because here is where we see Jesus. And it's a received wisdom. There's nothing powerful in and of itself of reading the Scriptures. But it is a posturing of ourselves under the Scriptures to see and to meet with Jesus. And that's why we are a Scripture-fueled people. Third, we're almost done. James starts his letter with maybe the most encouraging thing. James chapter 1, verse 5 opens, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That is good news. Whether in my earlier scenarios you're at a, at a crossroads, not sure what to do with these two good options, whether it be a job, a spouse, a school, what to do next, or a decision, friends, the invitation of Jesus is to come ask me. Just like a good father, when his son comes to him hungry, doesn't give him a scorpion or a rock, but gives him more of the Spirit, God says. He gives us more of himself. Come and ask. We are a prayer people, a prayer-dependent life. 
And lastly, we can't live these lives of godly wisdom from above alone. You could look at that, that list, right? You, know, you might think, oh, Taylor, you know what? I can be pure, peaceable, gentle. I can be open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, and sincere if I hide away by myself in my room. James isn't after that, and, and we know it. This, these are all things embodied amongst the people. James is holding out for us in this paragraph, but also throughout his letter, to live a Christ-centered life because he is the wisdom of God, to live a Scripture-fueled life because this is where wisdom is found, a prayer-dependent life. Ask the Lord, and he gives generously in a community-lived life. Gandalf was right. All those who took the ring were corrupted by its power and harmed by it. And so it is with those who live by or seek after wisdom from this world or live lives marked by our present age, a slow corruption over time. Now, the good news is that I have not perfectly lived this. You haven't either. We have not perfectly embodied the wisdom that comes from above. That doesn't change the fact that this is a genuine call for us to be marked by wisdom and understanding and to let our works be shown in the meekness of wisdom. But James told us, and I already read this from James chapter 1, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And this is ultimately seen not just in God's giving and dispensing of wisdom, but ultimately seen in Christ Himself. The Son of God sent by God the Father to save sinners like us who so quickly drift toward various worldly wisdoms, worldly systems, worldly ways of thinking. The Father of lights redeems a sinful humanity through the greatest gift heaven has ever given us, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Given, broken, crushed, buried, risen, ascended, and reigning in heaven. And so this command of James is a gift to us because we're asking one who is crucified in our place, risen in our place, and stands in glory and gives the wisdom when asked for. That is good news. Let me pray for us. Lord God, You are kind. You are, you've given us more than we deserve in Your Son, Jesus. Jesus, thank You for Your death in our place on the cross and for our sins. Thank You for Your glorious resurrection that began and ushered in new resurrection life. I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Second RP. pray for my own soul. pray for my congregation that we would be men and women marked by wisdom. A wisdom that comes from above. So help us posture ourselves to get that wisdom as we sit under You, Jesus, and learn from Your Scriptures. Make us wise and make us understanding. Lord, for Your glory, in Jesus' wonderful name, I pray all of these things. Amen.